invite you to stand with me and to set your mind on these things that we'll talk about, that uh, your life would be rooted in the reality of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We began studying these verses last Sunday morning, and we will think through them again this Sunday morning as well. The Word of God says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, set your testimony, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained, we've gained something. We have access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now here's our focus for this morning. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Oh God, may they not be just words among us, may they be our hope, and may they be the very words of God inspired of the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul, so that we are those who are the rarest of all people, those who rejoice in the midst of suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Just suppose this was your assignment this afternoon. You're given a blank sheet of paper, and here is what you're to do with that sheet of paper, to write a comprehensive overview of the gospel. Where would you start? What would you do? What would you say? What would you emphasize? Now, that's what the book of Romans is. The book of Romans, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul, and it's given to us, and it is an amazing gift. I don't know what you view as your most prestigious possession in life, but may God give us grace to know that his word has got to be at the top of the list. And I hope that you think of it that way and treat it as such. Now, uh, let's talk about for a moment the time and place Paul writes Romans. We know he writes it to the... All right, all right, so you're good. Even with a lost hour of sleep, we're still tracking. He writes it to the capital city of the Roman Empire. But I want us to think through that time and place for a moment because it's going to help us uh, study this this morning. In the Roman Empire, most every place, village, city, state that you went to, they had their own gods. You can see this pretty readily, right, when you read through the book of Acts. I mean, when Paul shows up in Ephesus, they flat out riot because of uh, the gospel is spreading, and it's offensive to them that it's spreading. So you go to a home, for example. Go into a home in the Roman days and you, it'd be pretty apparent pretty quickly what their God is in that home. And this is true every home you go to, every marketplace you go to. This is what Paul's writing about to the Corinthians, for example. Are you going to get your steak from that place where they worship to that God and so on and so forth? I mean, it's everywhere that they go. Every people, every region, every language, every ethnicity had their own God. And if you traveled, say you go to Corinth, for example. Well, the polite thing to do would be to light incense or repeat a prayer to that region's God. If you leave from Corinth and you go to Ephesus or you go from Ephesus, you go to Thessalonica, whatever the sort of local deity, you just knew that is the God that you would pay homage to or maybe throw a couple of copper coins into the offering for that God. 
And most everyone was doing this, except one rather peculiar group of people, and that was the Christians. They did not believe that their God was one of the gods, but that he is the God. And only Christians in that time and place are not willing to bow down to the other gods. They wouldn't go along with the social order. They were thought too narrow and too exclusive. And as you might imagine, this doesn't go over very well with the Roman Empire. And they're strongly persecuted for it. And yet here is, I'll use the word peculiar again, here is the peculiar part. The gospel was spreading like crazy. Isn't that interesting? Here's the thing. There was nothing but social cost to being a Christian. Now Paul writes to the Romans and anybody who's reading this letter and as a follower of Jesus, whoever they were, this statement would mean something. We rejoice in our sufferings because identifying yourself with Christ at that time and place meant a whole lot of suffering. So here's my question. If there was nothing but social cost to being a Christian in the Roman Empire, why were so many becoming Christians? If there was no social benefit to identifying as a follower of Jesus, is that not going to help you work your way up the economic ladder or the, it's going to make it much less likely that you'll get a job promotion or even have a job? Why is the gospel spreading? We know it is spreading because Romans chapter 1 verse 8. First, Paul, Paul writes, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So let's ask a couple of questions. Is the gospel spreading in that time and place because the people of God have accumulated and acquired significant political power? Is that what's going on? Are they protected by the Roman emperor? Do they have rights guaranteeing their safety? No, actually, it's the very opposite, isn't it? They're persecuted by their government, and yet they endure. Well, was it because the people of God at that time and place have accrued significant economic and material resources? And they're able to fund all sorts of programs held in their expanding buildings? Well, Hebrews says the opposite. Chapter 10, verse 34 of the book of Hebrews says, You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. They don't have any political power. They don't have any economic influence. Did the gospel spread because the followers of Jesus in that time and place were the most well-educated or well-connected or influential people in the Roman Empire? What's the answer to that? Of course not. They were anything but those things. That's what Paul says in the first Corinthians chapter one. Not many of you are paraphrasing a little bit. Not many of you are impressive. Not many of you are of noble birth. Not many of you are of great social standing, but God has chosen the 
foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So we're back to the question, how did the gospel spread in those days? It's an important question for us because increasingly our days are becoming more and more similar to their days. Let's just illustrate for a moment. Let's go back 80 years. All right, we're going to go back 80 years. Identifying yourself as a Christian was important in our culture. You didn't choose so much whether or not you went to church, but what church, right, 80 years ago? We've even got uh, some, some documents left over from 80 years ago that when you applied for a mortgage, for example, you know what one of the questions on the mortgage application was? What church are you a member of? Just sort of assumed. There was social pressure to attend church. What would be in your front yard on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock mowing the lawn? It's just not what was done in that time and place. We're just talking about the culture, right? Now, go back 40 years ago. It had changed a little bit, hadn't it? It was more of a live and let live era. And people began to think maybe some of the things about the Bible, the miracles and the supernatural parts to be a little outdated, but still like some of the things like the Sermon on the Mount and some of the things Jesus said. And there was still some respect for Christian ethics, right? Even those who didn't attend church tolerated those who did because... I mean, things like don't steal and don't lie and be a good person. So if you want to go to church, no big deal. But now let's talk about today. You noticed it's shifting, and it may be okay to say it is shifted. It's not resulted yet in much persecution, so I don't want to be dramatic about it. That would be an insult to those of us, to those brothers and sisters of the Lord that we have around the world who really face significant things. But increasingly... Christian ethics are viewed by the unbelieving world as a really big deal, right? It has begun, and my estimation will only increase, that the unbelieving world views Christian ethics as a hindrance, particularly on issues like sexuality and gender. The social pressure has switched from the point of identifying yourself as a Christian is different than it was 80 years ago, right? And not many, in not too many years... It will be a hindrance to getting that job, to getting elected to that office, to gaining admission to that school, your voice being tolerated in that place. And all the research currently shows, it's already showing up in this way, that fewer and fewer Christians are vocalizing their witness in the world. Because here's what you are told over and over again. Shh! Right? We'll talk about that here. And what unfortunately is beginning to happen is Christians are kind of retreating back into their little huddles and we'll stay in here, but having a witness out there, well, but let me ask you this question. Was that what was going on when Paul wrote the book of Romans? Is that what's going on in Paul's life? No, he's taking the gospel forth, and the gospel is spreading. And our understanding of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, is going to change over time. And I don't mean we're not understanding it right, but, but maybe our experiencing of it is going to change as we go along and the key word there here is endurance will we have a faith that endures when there is no social benefit only social cost to identifying myself as a follower of Jesus so we're going to take a case study what we're going to do is we're going to hold our spot here in Romans 5 and we're going to go over here to John chapter 4 and show 
how the gospel was spreading in that time and in that place. So the gospel of John chapter 4, Jesus speaks with the person we often refer to as the woman at the well, and it's going to be a demonstration of how the gospel was spreading. Now, Romans was written around 57 A.D. The Gospel of John, written a little bit later, 70 A.D. or so. But John, as he writes his Gospel, gives an, uh, an illustration how Jesus shares the Gospel with this woman that's indicative of how the Gospel was spreading. Now let's connect the dots. We're hanging together. We'll learn how the Gospel will continue to spread in our day by seeing how the Gospel was spreading in that day. Uh, and then at the end, we'll talk about how suffering is involved in those things. You up for that? Yeah. All right, good. Let's do it. John chapter 4. Uh, let's look at verse 29 just to start out with. This is the woman. This is at the end of her encounter with Jesus. It says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to to him. Then look at verses 39 to 42. Many, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed, right, the gospel spreading, we're seeing that, because of his word, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the Samaritans. No, the Savior of the local deep. No, the Savior of the world. So the gospel is spreading. Let's ask a couple of questions. Question number one, how is the gospel spreading? I'll go on and give you the answer and then we'll walk through it. The gospel at that time was spreading through individual people sharing out of their own transformed lives as a result of meeting Jesus. Is that a little too wordy? Here's how the gospel is spreading. Then, and I believe this is how the gospel will spread today, is through individual lives sharing out of a transformed life after meeting Jesus. It spreads here in this village through an ordinary woman who is straightforward and honest about what has happened in her life. Had she been to a seminar to train her how to share her faith? No. Has she learned a lot of strategies to sharing her faith? And those things I'm not in any way implying are not helpful. What has happened is her life has been transformed by the love, grace, and confrontation of Jesus. So let's read the whole account and see how, where she started, where she ended, and how she got there. Let's pick up in uh, verse number 4. He, he is Jesus, Jesus had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, we can answer that with one word, yes. But he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. It's a pretty remarkable encounter, isn't it? That Jesus has with this woman at the well. Let's just talk about a few things. A couple observations is uh, this lady is fairly well versed in the religious teachings of her day, right? She's a Samaritan. Won't go all back into the history of it, though it's important to know, and, and John even says it pretty clearly, right? Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And they, had, uh, they were at odds over all sorts of things. One of the primary things was is the manner that which they worship. All right, so she's, she starts rehearsing all sorts of lines where our forefathers and they worshiped it here and this well and Jacob dug the well and, and uh, he even watered his livestock. I mean, she's paid attention in the lessons. However, let's ask it this way, has all of those teachings shown up in an impactful way in her life? Not a bit. So she can stand and do some Bible quiz questions, right? Or more accurately probably, some Samaritan doctrine questions and, and, and do okay on it. But has any of that had anything to do with her day-to-day life? Have those traditions brought her any joy or any purpose? No. Where Has she looked for meaning and purpose and joy and life? Well, she can quote all about Jacob in his well, but deep down inside she has been empty and unsatisfied. So we see right here in this Samaritan woman a very common dichotomy 
And whether we went back 80 years or 40 years or today, this is still true. People can talk about religion, but that's not really how they live their life, right? It's very common. And you're in danger of this if, for example, you're here or you're here regularly or you've been to Sunday school and you come regularly to services, but when you're out of here, all these things have nothing to do with how you treat people, how you speak to one another, how you live your life, right? We can be so incredibly self-deceived this way. But what I love about Jesus is he really knows her. You ready for a sobering truth? He really knows you. He's not confused. The wool's not over his eye. I mean, he's the Lamb of God, but there's no wool over the eye, you understand. The truth of the matter is, and I think we see it in this lady, you can have everybody fooled, but not him. He knows. He knows who you are. He knows what you love. He knows what you pursue joy in life and satisfaction in. And we see here that she has sought her satisfaction where? The very common place. She has looked for validation, approval, acceptance. These are all universal human longings, whether it's Jesus talking to her at the woman of the well or we went over here to the... I won't name a place because then we'd all be thinking of that place. But, you know, right, right here. These, these are things all people in all places at all times are looking for. Where do I belong? And she has gone to this same place persistently. So it, shouldn't, uh, it should be fairly obvious to us. Let's point out the obvious truth. Is she has a thirst that's not just a physical thirst. This isn't just coincidental that Jesus is meeting her at a well. There's something uh, spiritual going on here, Right? And that uh, how many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you get a glass of water, right? It's been eight hours or so without something to drink. So, so in order for you to live, you have to have water. Pretty simple, right? But there are thirsts other than physical in our lives. And everybody is going to a well somewhere. And you're putting the bucket down and you're drawing it up and you're looking for satisfaction in that place. She has gone back to this well over and over and over again. It's the relationship well. It's the, if I can just find the right guy, I'll be happy well. And it's a big hope, isn't it? Most of our songs in the world are about this. We have songs like, my guy. Anybody know that song? I grew up on the oldies, so I just have to tell you. But we also have songs like, my girl. In fact, I thought about, well, we're just going to get this section to do my guy and this section to do my girl. And this section just gets to sit here and enjoy the, uh, the two. But, but we got um, When a Man Loves a Woman, right? Who can, who can name who sung that song? Percy Sledge. Okay, I'm just checking. I know what kind of group of people I'm with this morning. We've got songs proclaiming about how love will endure. I will always love you. Maybe Dolly, maybe Whitney, both singing the same thing. I'm going to keep on loving you. I'm just uh, aiming to get some songs stuck in your head. That's just what's going on here. We sing about endless love. Or that love will lift us up where we belong. Now, I'm sure they wrote songs, love songs after the 1980s, but I don't know them. (laughs) 
this lady at this well on this day, she's tried to get there in her life singing, uh, you know, Etta James, At Last. But she shows up here singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But she keeps going back to that same well. Many of us, never been to Samaria, right? But you've been to this well, haven't you? And man, it is such a hope that if we can just find the right person, the unbelieving world often comes to this well because it's as close as we can get to a meaningful relationship when we're disconnected from God. That's why it's such a common well. That's why the songs are about it and the movies are about it. But it's not the only well. So many other wells, but the result is the same. She's not been going over and over to Jacob's well. She's been going to the relationship well, and she remains so incredibly thirsty. In fact, her pursuit of satisfying her thirst has been so extensive that apparently she's earned quite the reputation in the village. You know, I, I, I might not have a lot in common with the Apostle John, but I have this much in common. I always know what time it is. And when John writes, he's always pointing out what time it is. Did you say, Jesus is sitting there, and it's the sixth hour. It's the way the Bible puts it. That means six hours after the sun came up. So it's about noon. And what we would want to know from that is this is the least likely time someone comes to the well. Those days, uh, man, if you don't know this, you got up this morning, you turned the faucet on. If uh, there was a time machine and the Samaritans in that day could see what you can do, that you can just go out here to the water fountain, they would just pass out with how, how good you have it. Because in that day, you're going to use water. You're going to use water for cooking. You're going to use water for cleaning. You're going to use water for drinking. You're going to use water for everything. You would go to the well early in the morning, but that's not when this lady is going. She's going at noon. And I do think there is an implication that she's going there at noon so that she's not around any of the other ladies. Nobody comes to draw water at noon. And no one wants to be around her, and no one is willing to talk with her except for Jesus. Isn't that glorious of him? Jesus knows her. He doesn't shun her. It says he had to pass through Samaria, and that's probably where they were traveling, but it's also he wants to go here to talk with her, and he stays on track. She tries to take the conversation down some unhelpful and unnecessary paths. Did you know when you share the gospel, there are such things as unhelpful and unnecessary paths? Everybody say amen. And she tries it a few times. But he stays on target. What's the target? You're unsatisfied and you're thirsty. He doesn't get bogged down in the political debate of the day. Well, you guys say that we should do this and we say this. He doesn't get bogged down in the religious debate. Here's what you want to aim for. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. What's her response? Come see Jesus. See, Jesus, you want a goal for your witnessing? 
is the target is let's talk about Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Can we get around to Jesus? Now, we're going to use the illustration here. And in order to use, uh, use this illustration, a couple of us were at the father-son retreat uh, uh, earlier this year, and they used this, and I thought it was helpful. I need a volunteer. So you have to be a volunteer who's willing to come up here and stand in front of everybody. And so that just knocked out 99.5% of you. So who's willing to help me? All right. John's already, I mean, he, did, he just stood up and he came. John, you're going to stand right there. Everybody say, good morning, John. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. John's, John's going to be with you. John happened to be thirsty in this particular moment. A little bit thirsty. All right. So, I brought a water bottle for you. You might not be able to see this too well, those of you sitting in the back, but would you like to take a sip of this water? Not particularly. John and I didn't even rehearse this, and that is the spot-on answer. Oh, you said that one there. Now... How about this water bottle, John? Would you like to take a sip out of this water bottle? And I will show and emphasize to you the seal is still on, right? So it's been unopened. Are you up for drinking from this? Uh, a little better. We're preaching here, John. Help me out a little bit. Not a little better. That is much better. Listen to it. There it is. Perfect. Perfect. Take that one on back. You're welcome to keep the water bottle. The point is fairly obvious, isn't it? Which would you drink from? People will drink from this one, provided what? They are thirsty enough and they don't know there's any alternative. That's a good understanding in my estimation, of who I was before I knew Jesus. Still got the same thirst. And really what this is, is I just got a little sand, a little dirt off the, out, of the, out of the yard out there and then just mixed it in, right? It's not good for drinking. In fact, let's just put it away. How, how about we do that? <laughs> but that's who we are. So sharing the gospel is just highlighting where the thirst can end. Well, John 4, 28 demonstrates how the gospel was spreading. It's so succinct. We read it quickly. But let's look at it. John 4, 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ. There are three things the woman does that result in the gospel spreading. We're going to take them in no particular order. Number one, she went into town. Did you catch that? She went into town, which implies she was going where there were people who did not know about Jesus. This has got to be an emphasis in your life. Where is it that you go on a regular basis, for example, where people do not know about Jesus? Workplace, classroom, across the street, take the gospel. This is why we emphasize the unreached. She, she went, and then, hey, y'all, going is great, but then once she goes, she does something else. 
she went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She went into the town, then she spoke to the people. And what does she talk about? She talked about Jesus, right? And she talked about what was going on in her own life. So it wasn't strange. It wasn't weird. It wasn't like she got this odd tone of voice. And all of a sudden now we're talking about Jesus and it's awkward, right? Now, I love some gospel tracks, y'all. I just got to be honest. These are three of my favorite. And I love a gospel track. Here's a simple outline of God's way of salvation. And it is a simple outline of God's way of salvation. And then i got another gospel track. It's what is the gospel? And this is a really helpful one too. And then another one, becoming a Christian. I love gospel tracks. But there is part of me that thinks, wouldn't it have been strange if this morning I was in the fellowship hall and I got with another basketball fan and I got this track out and said, how to talk about the North Carolina Duke game from last night. And then I opened it up. Step number one. <clears throat> Did you see the game last night? <laughs> it was airing on ESP. You know what I'm saying. We won't belabor this. Now, listen, I love gospel tracks. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not down on the gospel tracks. I keep gospel tracks with me wherever I go. But this lady, here's how the gospel was spreading. She was talking about something in her life that was real. Really happened. And it was out of a thirst being satisfied. I told you there was three things that happened. One, she went. Two, she spoke. And did you see the third thing? When she went back into the town, she'd left something behind. So the woman left her water jar. What's this talking about? Well, it's talking about that she knows where to find satisfaction now, doesn't she? It's not in the hope of finding the right guy, but now her hope is in the right guy has found her. She knows the Savior. The gospel spreads when we go to people and speak to them. And as we speak to them, it's obvious that we've left some things behind that we used to love and we used to trust in and we used to live for. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. One of the reasons that the church has so little influence in the culture is there's a whole lot of things we've not left behind. And we call it Christianity. And it's like we got, we're going to sip on the good water bottle, but we still always got this right in the pocket. And we always go back to it. But really what I want to aim for is once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that is the motivation to leave behind the old wells. Does that make sense? She speaks as one who is no longer thirsty. And she invites let me give you an excerpt, a pastoral exhortation. She invites and encourages and welcomes others to investigate Jesus for themselves. It does start with what happens to her, but that's not where it ends. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for now we have heard for ourselves. You can talk and talk and talk about the well, but there comes a time where they have to drink for themselves. You can lead a horse to water. You can lead someone who doesn't know Jesus to the gospel. But they have to drink for themselves. And friends, not everybody is going to take it as well as happened in this village. I was talking to Chris Sykes, uh, 
our dear friend, who's, he and his wife are serving Jesus in Taiwan and his children. I was talking to him this past week and just catching up, and he told me a story. He said, um, every morning I talk to my son. His son Santiago is a little guy, two years old or so. And uh, he says, every morning I say to my son, I whisper in his ear, I bring him close, I say, Daddy loves you, Daddy's proud of you, and Daddy thinks you're handsome. And he says, every morning, Santiago's eyes get big, and he says, wow. So I'm taking Juliana to pre-K this week. And I thought, man, Chris, that was such a great idea. So I'm getting her out of the truck to take her in. I pick her up, and I say, Juliana, come here. And I pick her up, and I hold her close, and I say, Daddy needs to tell you something. I said, Daddy loves you. I'm proud of you, and Daddy thinks you're beautiful. And she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, that doesn't even rhyme. So I'm trying to rework for tomorrow morning to make it, maybe make it rhyme a little bit. The only thing I can think of that rhymes with beautiful is dutiful, and I don't even think that rhymes. So. Now, 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 friends, you'll share the gospel, and sometimes you'll get a Santiago response. Wow, I've heard this before. Where can I drink? Now, sometimes you're going to get a Juliana response. What are you talking about? It's lame. She didn't say that, but I sure felt like she had. That's boring. That's outdated. Get with the time. You, you understand what I'm saying. But gospel proclamation is a, a thirst-quenched person speaking to one whose thirst hasn't been quenched yet, whether they realize it or not. And everyone who shares about Jesus at one time, I know I can't, can you? You can go back and look. Man, I spent so much time drawing from that well. The work well. Man, if I just, my life, if I just, my career, or my children, if they excel, and my relationship, and we all have wells we have drawn from. But they believed, verse 41, many more believed because of his word. Just to emphasize this, Look down at verse 50. It's a different scene, but I just want you to show you that, that John's writing about how the gospel spreads. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. We could keep going all through the gospel of John, but faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Well, real quick, real quick, let's read the verses in this scene that we haven't read. Uh, and that's verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, I love these guys, don't you? Has anyone brought him something to eat? His thoughts are always on a different plane, and we're like that too. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What's he ta- what was he talking about? He's talking about that sharing the gospel is hard work. It is. 
It is hard work. But you think about it. You go uh, scatter seed. It's a, it's a uh, collaboration between the seed scatterer and the God who sends the sun and the rain, right? You can trust the seed, which is the word of God. You, we don't need an improvement on his word. It tells us that we are unsatisfied until we find Christ. That's what his word says. But, but there's a collaboration. But I want you to see that the disposition, this is going to all of a sudden ring some bells back to Romans 5. There's a disposition of the one who's doing the work. And what is it? He does it rejoicing. So that the sower and reaper may Rejoice. Rejoice together. Reminds me of what the scripture says. And angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. All right, let's, let's put it all, let's try to put it all together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Our going to all sorts of wells is over. We have peace with God. We have a soul-satisfying God. That happened at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, more than that, we have obtained access. Guess what? We get to keep coming back to the well. The well that is his word. The well that is him. The well that is knowing and loving Jesus. More than that, we've obtained access into this grace. That's what's in the well, friends. This grace into which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We've tasted. We can't wait to see. Amen? Cannot wait for my faith to become sight. For me to be with, in the presence of, the one who has satisfied my soul forever. But more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now what is the suffering specifically that Paul is talking about in this letter? He is writing some people who, man, when it comes to sharing their faith and them not bowing down to the idols that are all around them in Rome, they are suffering for it. They have lost their jobs. Paul himself, you just think about this. He has been scourged with the 39 lashes five times. I have to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd have made it to the fifth one. You know what you would need? You'd need some serious hope and some serious character and some serious endurance. Christians can't go to their neighbor's house in Rome where this is put before them and they're told again and again, drink up, drink up, drink up. It's no longer an option for those who know Jesus. I can't keep bowing down to that. I can't keep worshiping that. I can't. God's jealous for his glory, you know that? And so when the Spirit comes and, right, and, and something other than God is lift up, it's an idol. A Christian can't just sit there and say, ah, well, we'll let be what will be. So Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 5, two things about suffering. And you're going to need to know this, and I'm going to need to know this, particularly as the days go by. Suffering serves as both a confirmation and a proclamation. Suffering that I'm willing to endure, that the name of Christ might be proclaimed, which is what Paul's life is all about, it confirms the authenticity of my faith. Now, I'll tell you what won't endure suffering. Fake faith. It won't. Fake faith, man, you'll, you'll throw that in. If, if, if all it takes 
is a freshman college professor ridiculing you about Jesus, and you say, oh, I'm done with this, I'm ready to walk away. Well, guess what, friends? You never really tasted and seen the Lord is who he is. Or, or if it's just you got fired, or here's a fine, or they take away the tax exemption status. If that's all it takes for us to up and say, we're done with this, well, guess what that means? It means, actually, that though I believe Jesus is the Christ, who he was to us was the equivalent of who Artemis was to the Ephesians. Just a mascot. Just a little logo. Just someone we liked, not something we saw. Behold our King. Worthy is the one who was slain. And Paul's whole life is a spreading of the gospel as he joyfully shares where water can be found, in particular when it comes at great cost to himself. So here's the conclusion. The gospel often spreads in proportion to the suffering those who share the good news are willing to endure to see it. Say it one more time, and then we'll have our conclusion and invitation. The gospel often spreads in proportion to the suffering those who share the good news are willing to endure to see it spread. What was Paul willing to endure to see it spread? You know what Romans is? is Romans is actually a, a missionary support letter. That's what Romans is. He's writing the church there because he's going to come through there and he, he needs a little financial assistance to get to Spain. Does he say, man, the people in Spain, they never even heard the gospel. They're still drinking any number of idolatrous wells. And I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to endure and get there. Now, last phrase from God's word, hope Hope does not put us to shame. Isn't that where he found the woman at the well? Living a life of shame, right? Got to go there at noon just because she doesn't want to deal with the words or the looks. Sometimes it's the looks, isn't it, of the other people. She lives with shame. This hope, when you drink from this, these other wells, it's just a matter of time before it's obvious that what you've been drinking, one, doesn't satisfy, and two, it will kill you. But our hope in Christ does not put us to shame because God's love, and I love this phrase, has been poured into our hearts. That's a well phrase, isn't it? Been poured out. Maybe just think of, you know, I just love the sound of water being poured into the glass, right? That's what's happened. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's why Paul endures. Real love endures. True love endures. And what sustains Paul to the end is not necessarily his love for Christ. It is Christ's love for him, displayed most clearly at the cross, where God demonstrates, here is a real well, come and drink, while we are yet his enemies. Exactly, if you want to read Romans 5, where he goes, for a while, at just the right time, while we were still weak, Christ died for his enemies. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. 
Though for a good person one may dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. Let's stand together. And we will pray together. And we're going to have an invitation together. Would you pray with me? A couple things that I would encourage that would be, I, I think, an appropriate response to what we studied this morning is you might want to seek the Lord's help and wisdom and discernment, though for most of us this won't be hard. Where am I looking for my thirst to be quenched? I'm talking about at the soul level. God, where am I going day after day after day after day? For others of us, it might be a full-on praise, his glorious name, that your soul is satisfied in Jesus. Another appropriate way to respond is you might want to seek the Lord, and you are more than welcome to come to the front and pray to the Lord, asking God, would you fortify my faith for whatever might come when there is no longer any social benefit in our culture to following Jesus? Would you help me have the character that endures? God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he seeks out those who are cast out. What a picture. That time and place, he crossed the political divide, he crossed the gender divide, he crossed the ethnicity divide to, to speak to the woman at the well. God, I thank you that Jesus said that this is it's his food, it's his sustenance to do these things. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that feels shame or overlooked or cast out, that they would see clearly they have a place with you. Father, help us to be a church that the gospel is spreading. The gospel is spreading because people's lives are being transformed and out of satisfied souls they proclaim where water can be found. Lead our invitation time. Help it to be prayerful, worshipful. May your spirit do a work among us in Jesus' name.